There are well over 100 active bills in the state legislature right now. It's according to a service called Colorado Capital Watch. The governor has signed more than 200, but we've only got a week to go to finish all that up. So for this episode, we decided to update you on a couple of last-minute things, keep it short, and we'll take you inside a very silly mystery at the Capitol. I'm very excited. From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny here with my colleague Benta Berkland, and we're both hunkering down for these final days. Benta, I understand that there's been kind of an interesting curveball thrown for a lot of the different bills that Democrats want to pass. It's kind of a money question. Yeah, we're at that point in the session where bills have moved through the legislature, but they're still waiting to see if the funding will be approved. And so what makes this year especially unusual is that money is not hard to come by. The state has an influx of about $4 billion of federal COVID relief. The state budget is flush with cash. And then on top of that, there's nearly a billion dollar state stimulus package. Great. So what's the problem? Well, I talked to Democratic Senator Dominic Moreno. He chairs the Joint Budget Committee. And he said Mm. on Friday that there was a concern that despite all that, Democrats were overcommitted on some of their legislation, meaning Mm. they didn't know if they could pay for it. And so that caused concern for a lot of people who really felt like their bills were in limbo and had no idea what was going to happen. And that was affecting even relatively small bills. That's right. I think one bill that especially highlights what was at stake is a measure that had cleared the House unanimously. It only cost about $300,000, which is a drop in the bucket. In so, state money, yeah. Yeah, so just basically minuscule. And what it would do is something I think a lot of people think already was happening, which mm. is making sure people living with disabilities can access state websites mm. digitally. So as we all know, so much information comes through the digital world these days. Mm-hmm. But the state was not complying with the Americans with Disabilities Act. So people huh. who are blind or people who can't type and hard of hearing, like things aren't captioned. There wasn't always yeah. sign language interpreters. So I talked to Scott Labar, who really helped me understand what's at stake here. He describes himself as totally blind. Mm-hmm. He, he lost his vision when he was 10. And he said that when COVID hit, like I mean, like a lot of Coloradans, he was searching for as much information as possible. But the state website was not compatible with the program he and a lot of other people use to read text so he can get information online. And we're talking about things like the number of COVID-19 cases and the governor's executive orders. We had to wait several weeks to catch up uh, with the information that was crucial at the time to get. But we had, again, like usual, had to wait on the backbench and get information later. So uh, that should have never have happened. Uh, and so if if these standards were in place, if the state were actually following them uh, and thinking about these things ahead of time, which is that's what this bill will cause to happen, that lack of access to critical public information would have never happened. And Labar said that the health department website did get updated, like he said, after a couple of weeks. But a lot of city and local governments don't have that capability or aren't doing it right now. So. Bipartisan support, pretty straightforward bill, relatively low cost. Seems like a slam dunk. What has happened with this bill in the final days? Well, it was, quote, put on pause. And the sponsor, Democratic Representative David Ortiz, said he got a message that, you know, the funding was in question and it was pulled from the calendar. And so he and others really started lobbying the lawmakers who sit on the budget committee, legislative leaders, reaching out, phone calls, texts, social media, 
you know, they were very, very nervous. At this point in session, when you get the message, you know, the funding is in question and something's uh-huh. pulled off the calendar, it passed the House unanimously. So Ortiz basically said he was completely shocked. Wow. And then telling him they're overcommitted, he said that was not good enough for him because he says this bill is talking about basic access, not convenience, access that everybody else has. Every able-bodied person probably just takes for granted and that this needed to be a top priority. You always hear that your budget reflects your priorities and that especially becomes the case in these final days where, you know, it's not just some abstract thing. Democrats are having to pick and choose between very specific and small sets of things because, you know, it's only so many bills that are left and it's only so much money to pay for them. So it it seems like a lot of stuff is up in the air. Um, Well, I think that's actually shifted now. As you know, things change so quickly at the Capitol because the budget committee chair, Dominic Moreno, said that they have freed up more money. So funding should not be an issue for the remaining bills and bills they expect to be coming. (laughs) So that's unusual, too. So now it's not an issue. They shifted some federal money, about $150 million into the state stimulus fund. And so that means they have more budget flexibility. So um, (laughs) Scott Labar and other people in the disability community said they are relieved. They're delighted. Uh, They also say it never should have come to that point. You know, they wouldn't have lobbied so hard if someone had just said, hey, we're figuring it out. It's just head spinning, like watching all this money fly around. It is. You know, I think they also may have gotten some help in making the money work. Because there was another bill that I've been following that would have created a left-behind workers fund, Mm -hmm. and it was going to spend more than $20 million a year to provide unemployment benefits, essentially, to folks who are undocumented who can't access normal benefits. And you said that was $20 million? More than $20, yeah. And just recently, that got turned into a study bill. And that's going to be upsetting to a lot of advocates who point out that undocumented people have really been hit hard in their work throughout the pandemic and to not be able to pay for that. I'm interested to see the reactions. They said it wasn't a money issue per se. They said it was just that the unemployment situation is so crazy right now. And CDLE, the Labor Department, is already struggling to keep pace with things that maybe it wasn't the right time to introduce a complicated new program. Mm -hmm. But regardless, that would have been a costly program and it's not happening anymore. There's one other little bit of late-breaking legislative drama, too. We've talked about tax bills. Democrats have another one. Actually, it's got Republican sponsorship, too. And this one is about property taxes. It's going to be pretty uh, meaningful and impactful for a lot of people. So, Andy, tell me about that bill and how significant is it? Well, it is quite the bill. (laughs) Where to start? For one thing, everybody knows property taxes are set to go up because of how hot the market is right now. Mm -hmm. This bill would give a temporary reprieve on the property tax rate for a lot of payers. Okay. And it would also establish a property tax deferral program starting in a couple of years where all property owners, I believe, would be able to essentially defer a portion of their increased property tax bills and pay it later when they sell their property. Hmm. So that's supposed to kind of blunt the impact of sharply rising property tax bills. But the interesting twist on it is that it's written in a way. Are you aware of um, this ballot initiative that would also cut property tax rates? I've read a little bit about it, but haven't followed it that closely, no. So it's being put forward by a conservative group. And it's basically it would, if it's approved by voters, that initiative would cut property tax rates by about 9%. This legislation that was just introduced would basically cancel that initiative out, even if it's approved. 
I won't go into the technicalities, but that's going to be pretty upsetting for the conservative organizers behind that bill. They see it as, okay, maybe you're delivering a slight property tax cut temporarily, but to them, this bill is potentially designed to short circuit their own effort to cut property taxes. I mean, interesting because Republican Senator Bob Rankin is one of the main sponsors of this bill. And he said he's not trying to blunt that ballot initiative, but I guess if this measure passes, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and it would affect it. There's a reason Republicans are worried about property tax cuts, too, and that's because a lot of rural communities don't have the massive growth in property tax revenue to offset that cut. So that could hit them pretty hard if property tax rates are cut that significantly. And certainly Rankin is from Carbondale and represents a more rural part of Colorado. Well, Josie, the finance stuff gets very complicated in Colorado, and hopefully we've not butchered it in trying to explain it in less than three and a half hours. (laughs) So we'll be back in our next episode to talk about all of the big policies that have passed this session. Some have already gone through the legislature. Some are still pending. But we do want to get to the mystery we promised we'd talk about. Well, this is our our wait wait, 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 moment, and it's probably going to be my favorite that we've done. Ben, to set us up, this is about a rubber band ball. Yes. (laughs) First of all, what is the deal with rubber band balls in the state capitol? Because I've seen this over the years many times. Yeah, it's, it's something they do on the last day of session where they take this huge rubber band ball and they, in the center of the capitol, the rotunda, they drop it off one of the balconies, essentially, and it bounces really high. Does OSHA so. know about this? This seems dangerous. <laughs> okay, so this rubber band ball gets like built up over the session, right? Yes. Except? Except this year there's been a little bit of a hiccup. The ball went missing from Senator Jim Smallwood's desk. Yeah, and I overheard a really funny conversation between him and Carrie Donovan, a Democrat, where uh, he was like, how's that investigation going, Carrie? Um, have, you, uh, have you checked your office? Just made sure it wasn't in there, perchance? <laughs> And, you know, it's evolved. There's been all these twists. There was a ransom note saying that the ball would be returned if Republicans could commit to wrapping up a few days early. And in the ransom note were Senator Faith Winter's uh, action figures, as she calls them, standing with the ball, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some others. This actually, of course, came up on the chamber floor. Here's Senator Winter talking about the situation. Members, it is not just the rubber band ball that is missing. RBG, Kamala, RBGs, plural. and Elizabeth Warren from my desk are missing. They are with the rubber band ball. This is very disturbing. I'm sure some people roll their eyes at that, like don't they have more important things to do, but it just shows you the kind of weird group uh, mentality that emerges when you stick a bunch of people in a building together for 120 days. I think it's funny because they're basically creating their own little like improv theater game that they're playing among themselves. And it's just funny to me to see like how much it resembles college and high school where where else do you get like group activities like that going on? Yeah, it does seem like something in a college dorm, <laughs> like one floor would steal something or, you yeah, know. Yeah, like the epic games of like tag that I remember uh, people in my college playing. I don't know. It's just a, it's just a function. Maybe I went to the wrong college because I, I definitely do not remember tag playing. <laughs> no, it, I think it's just a function of the weird social environment that the Capitol creates. Maybe nobody else cares. <laughs> Regardless, I will tell you when we find out who stole the ball. 
That's it for this week's episode. We will be back. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Benta Berkland. You can find us online on Twitter. I'm at Benta Berkland. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. This is Purplish from CPR News. This is Purplish. This is Purplish. I'm Purplish.